Welcome to today's episode of On the Rocks. Our guest today is Alicia Eastman, the president of Intercontinental Energy, a green fuels developer and owner focused on integrated upstream wind and solar, midstream hydrogen, and downstream ammonia projects located in the coastal deserts of Australia and the Middle East. Today, you're going to hear us chat about how hydrogen is now produced using green electrons, aka renewable energy, and converted to ammonia, and how that whole process and industry is reliant on mining and the mineral supply chain. We also cover how hydrogen is used by the mining industry and what that future looks like from that perspective, including, as always, ESG is a critically important focus. Before co-founding ICE in 2014, Alicia led global market investment and strategy for 20 years, managing private equity funds, market entry and finance for multinational companies, and institutional investors across Australasia and the Middle East, where she's focused on infrastructure, project finance, renewable energy, specialty chemicals and pharma, technology, and telecom. Alicia holds leadership and director roles at industry councils and associations, including Hydrogen Council, SEC Hydrogen, the Ammonia Energy Association, and Global Maritime Forum's Getting to Zero Coalition. Alicia is also the host of her own podcast called Everything About Hydrogen, so to learn more, be sure to look it up and give her a follow and a listen. With that, pour a cup or a glass or a mug of your favorite drink, and let's dive in. Alicia, thank you so much for uh, joining us today on The Rocks. I'm excited to have another fellow podcast host on to talk more about hydrogen and everything going on in your world. So thanks again for coming on today. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I think there's a lot of overlaps in mining and hydrogen, and it should be an interesting conversation. And what are you drinking today? I'm on my second gigantic kombucha, so <laughs> I, I actually explode as a person yeah. but <laughs> um there's only a teeny tiny amount of uh alcohol in it i, I think they say like 0. 0.025 or something that's um, just to make it make it a little fun yeah exactly. um, well, i'm just drinking straight caffeine this week so it's it's friday morning <laughs> so um i'm not even doing anything fun on that side but uh, well, tell me yeah i know it's friday afternoon it's coming soon well, tell me a little bit about what you're working on right now and, and the work that you do, because I think we we recently did another episode on a different kind of hydrogen. And I think what you're working on and how it relates to mining is really relevant for our listeners in the industry. Sure. Uh, so I'm the president of Intercontinental Energy, um, and we started in 2014. Uh, my co-founder was... Uh, it, he is still brilliant, but he had the brilliant inspiration um, to to really find the cheapest places to make green electrons. So he had discovered he'd been, you know, a developer for 20 years. He had done wind and solar all over the place. Um, and I knew him because I invested in a number of different renewables projects. And if I saw a deal in renewables, I would call them and immediately ask, do you know who these guys are? What do you think sure. about this technology? So we worked together um, a lot and knew each other really well. And I was debating setting up another private equity fund, um, which is a 12-year commitment, typically. <laughs> and yeah. um, he uh, he said, you know, I have this great idea for a company. Um, I'd, I'd like to... Uh, basically build giant wind and solar farms in locations where there isn't a lot of demand, but we could actually move the electrons to areas that have a lot of demand. Right. Um, and so the original plan 
was basically, uh, and, and, and then I decided to, to go with it um, because it sounded really exciting and, you know, good for the environment and the decarbonization uh, that we all need. So um, the what he had realized is that coastal deserts are the absolute best place to um, build renewables because you have lots of sun during the day. You mean really, really strong sun during the day and strong wind at night. And mm. so that means that you have almost 24-hour base load power and that's a much higher capacity factor so that anything you're trying to run downstream with that power, um, it's it's easier, it's cheaper. It's, you always want to have constant power. Right. Um, so it's it's really bad to shut down a large manufacturing facility. You you want to keep it going, um, and that means that you really want to have dispatchable power. And that's one of the reasons that people have issues with wind and solar. It's because it's intermittent. It's not always there. What do you do when the wind doesn't blow? Um, and for us, we we decided let's take away the majority of that problem by having a diurnal profile by having the sun during the day and the wind at night and then you know we can have some batteries we can have some uh, storage we can have some storage in the balanced plant we can fix it up because it's just a little bit of a problem not a huge problem um if you're only using solar for instance your capacity factor is like 24 percent so that means that whatever equipment you buy all that capex everything all that money that you spend on equipment it's getting used 25 percent of the time so you need four times the amount, you know, to get to the same place as somebody who has constant uh, power coming in and at a very cheap price because it's the best, it's, you know, the best profile you can find. It's it's um, in these coastal deserts. And so the idea was uh, we we had decided Oman and we would, using an undersea cable, we would send the electrons to Bombay. And in Australia, we found a really good project and we thought we would send them uh, with an undersea cable to Singapore and through Jakarta. Um, And then we realized that we could make these electrons so cheaply that we could actually make hydrogen. Um, Because the the problem with hydrogen, hydrogen has been around a very long time, um, you know, over a hundred years of people trying to uh, work with hydrogen. Um, and there's been up, you know, in the like 2000s, people picked it up again, but never before had we had these renewable inputs that were so cheap um, yeah. that really made it actually feasible. Um, and so we decided to start making hydrogen. The advantage of it is that you can ship it. Um, it's much easier. It's not point to point. You don't need to build an undersea cable. Undersea cables are very expensive and they're also very restrictive because you can't have more than the cable can hold and you right. must fill the cable or you're not going to make enough money for the product to work. So right. it's very restrictive um, and there's a lot more uh, variability than is allowed with hydrogen. But we quickly discovered that hydrogen is actually not that easy to store or move either. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah. we we decided that we would focus on ammonia um, because basically what you do is you when you make hydrogen you take um, water and mm-hmm. water as everyone knows is H two O and you split it into the oxygen and the hydrogen and then if you want to 
wrap that hydrogen to, to make it easier to ship, you can take nitrogen from the air. So 78% of the air we breathe is nitrogen. It's okay. easy to take from the air. You add it to the hydrogen and that's ammonia, NH3. So um, that's, you know, all the chem chemistry you need for this. <laughs> and then um, basically ammonia, um, you can ship at negative 33 degrees Celsius. Um, and that's uh, pretty reasonable. If you want to ship hydrogen, you have to ship it at negative 253 degrees Celsius, which oh, wow. is only 20 degrees above absolute zero. So you're likely to lose your hydrogen in shipment. Like you would continuously be losing energy from, from it and it will be gone by the time you know, the, the ship arrives. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not the best. It's good for short distances and it's good for, you know, not if you're going to very short distance, that's fine. But, uh, liquefying hydrogen is not great for long distance. Uh, and the other thing that was great about ammonia, so it's not just a, it's not just a shipping vector. It's not just a wrapper, but there are a number of, um, different industries and applications that can use ammonia directly. So, mm -hmm. um, shipping can use ammonia as a fuel instead of diesel and there'll be oh. zero greenhouse gas uh, releases from that is it absolute clean fuel um and in in northern um asia they're co-firing with ammonia so you'll take a coal facility that's unfortunately recently built um and instead of putting 100 percent coal in you put 80 percent coal in and you put 20 percent ammonia and you have 20 percent less emissions and they want to increase that to a hundred percent ammonia. So no emissions, um, okay. but they're starting what, and they've already done testing. So the 20 to 30% is already can, they can do definitely. Um, and if you want these green fuels, um, then you want them to come on a green ship, right? You don't want, to, right. it does make a lot of sense for you to be buying these green fuels. Yeah. It's on a dirty ship. So. It, they're kind of tied together and so we feel that you know these are um industries that need it shipping is is now i think three percent of um greenhouse gas um emissions but it's growing really fast yep. and by 2030 it's probably going to be 10 percent um and there aren't very many options there really are almost no other options um that will have zero greenhouse gas emissions and that you are able to make forever because right. It's only seawater, right? You need you need seawater, which which we're gonna, gonna have plenty of because that's like seventy percent of the world. <laughs> uh, you need wind, solar, and you need nitrogen. And again, nitrogen is seventy eight percent of the air. So you we will always be able to produce ammonia. So we, whereas all the other options like biofuels and all these different other things that you can use for shipping, um. They run out. They, they run out so quickly. There's there's, there's just not enough um, for for the industry, um, and so that's why uh, we decided to focus on that. And we have four very large projects. Um, we announced recently that BP has invested in one of our Australia projects, which is 26 gigawatts of upstream, and they'll be the operator. And in uh, Oman, Shell just joined as the operator. Um, our MOU that we announced in Saudi is with Aramco, the biggest company in the world. <laughs> so um, I, I think they can operate pretty well. 
Um, and then we've got a, a, our fourth project, which is, is a, another one in Western Australia, which is, is well, quite large. It's 50 gigawatts of upstream. Um, so what and, is, you know, Alicia, for folks who maybe don't um, understand how that infrastructure works, when you're saying upstream and you're, you're going from hydrogen to, yeah, so what is that? You have upstream operators. So you start with, it's, it's all an integrated project. So we're doing it all integrated. So it's not like we're bringing in different people to do different things. But you start with the upstream is the wind and the solar, the mm -hmm. energy. These are the green electrons, right? So you, you, you need to put up um, wind turbines and put out PV solar, and that creates your green electrons. Then you use those green electrons in order to desalinate seawater. So mm -hmm. you'll set up a desalination plant and you'll use those electrons to desalinate the seawater. And you'll also use those electrons to run the electrolyzers. The electrolyzers are what divide the, the, um, the H2O into the hydrogen and the oxygen. And then you also use those electrons to take uh, nitrogen from the air and combine it with the hydrogen. And then you, you end up with ammonia and a lot of leftover potable water, actually, um, which is nice. So the community has more water. Uh, we can green the deserts. We can create topsoil because actually oxygen is really useful for that. So we can actually um, help these areas that really have nothing there. Uh, we can actually give food security and, and be, be actually greening the deserts, essentially. Um, so we can leave it we can leave it better than we found it um, yeah. and, and increase diversity of, of different animal population, flora, fauna. Um, so, yeah. And, and is uh, people mean by green hydrogen then when folks give the different colors of hydrogen yes. is this, this process? Yeah. Okay. So green hydrogen is when it's made with a renewable uh, resource at the top, like the <laughs> wind or solar or geothermal or, uh, hydro, um, they, even though like geothermal and hydro, you run out of them, mm -hmm. uh, they're not necessarily renewable, but they are green because they're no. not causing any, you know, CO2 problems. Um, and then blue is the old way of making hydrogen, which, which is what we refer to as like gray hydrogen. Um, but mm -hmm. this is hydrogen that involves a lot of um, greenhouse gas emissions. And that is the old process, which is called steam methane reform. And you start yeah. with basically gas, like natural gas, um, methane. Um, and you have this process and at the end of it, you have hydrogen. And typically you don't even sell that hydrogen. You would almost immediately put it into ammonia for fertilizer or into oh. urea, or you would make explosives like ammonium nitrate. Um, there's, there's lots of different things you can make from the, the hydrogen. Um, and so a lot of people are making it right now and then they, they just make the end product as well. So there's not a big hydrogen is not sold, um, around the world that as much as, you know, it is kind of locked into this process of making another product like, like ammonia. Okay. And how does all of that fit with what you're looking at in the mining industry? So mining has, has an impact on us because we uh, rely on a supply chain um, of both the 
the components that are necessary for the wind and the solar. Uh, so the PV, which has copper and number of other different metals, um, the, uh, the sort of head of the, <laughs> of the, um, turbine, um, the steel that goes into the height of the turbine essentially, um, and, um, and the electrolyzers and the electrolyzers to date, a lot of them are require, um, platinum group metals, which are very uh, difficult to, to find. Um, and, and there's just a number of different kind of, it's kind of the rare earths issue where mm -hmm. they're not necessarily rare, but, um, but we don't have a lot of them and we don't have a lot of people who are working on them. So it, it's definitely something we promote. Um, and I think that COVID really, I mean, it obviously people realize that we can't have these supply chains that are so tight where we we can't even make our own masks in our own country. Like it's, right. it's just, we have to have more options. And, and then with the war in Ukraine, um, you know, Europe, you know, realize that this is crazy that you're having just a pipeline coming from a country that's not even a friendly country. Um, so, you know, you, it's just much better to have options. Right. Um, and and it, it, you don't have to be an isolationist. You don't have to make everything at home. We don't all need to make our own shoes. But, you know, comparative advantage still matters. And, you know, it's 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 important, but it's important to have options. So if there's a problem somewhere, um, you know, you've got other other ways to get it. And I think that's one of the things that's helpful about um, hydrogen and ammonia is that, you know, because it can be shipped anywhere and it can be used in many different ways, whether it's used in an internal combustion engine or in a fuel cell, um, there's lots of different options. Um, and one of the things that we're trying to do to diversify and to, to not make the supply chain a problem is to have different um, technologies as well as geographies. So Please. right now, China makes 90% of the PV uh, with the solar panels in, in the world. And we can't have that. We can't have that in any of the different supply chains. So um, U.S. IRA um, that was passed, there's there's money there to, you know, make um, PV in the U.S. and to also do mining and to find, you know, different um, components that are required. And Saudi has done this. India is doing this. There's, there's a number of countries, Australia, um, where they're providing, um, you know, help to 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 actually focus on these these things that we need, whether it's rare earths for different things, or um, you know, or, or or the supply chain for us for renewables and then for hydrogen. Yeah, I think it's fascinating and such a great example of how you know we need to do a better job of communicating to the world how critical mining and metals are to the renewable energy sector as a whole right we sometimes get frustrated because inside the sector we understand that in order to make wind and solar and move those electrons everywhere and and also apparently hydrogen um that you require a lot of minerals and metals and i think we haven't done a great job of communicating that outside of the industry yeah. the world at large yeah, and, and I, I think it really took this this huge supply chain shock um, to get people thinking about it. You know, do, you know, semiconductors are, are another example <laughs> where people just took took it for granted, and and we we have like one 
entity making all the semiconductors in the world. <laughs> it's it's yeah. it, you know, it it doesn't make a, a lot of sense. So um, it, it, I just think people are very short term thinking in general. Um, so there's there's starting to be because these are big projects. Um, these are more like infrastructure projects that are longer term. Um, some of the old sort of planning is coming back. People are thinking in the longer term. And I think, okay, I I need this supply chain and my supply chain needs a supply chain. And yeah. I need to make sure that like all of those things work or I need to make sure that I have a technology that doesn't need any metals from the platinum group or I, you know, I have a technology that, you know, uh, whatever it needs, there's enough for it. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, and just diversifying is super helpful as well. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, like I, copper should be, more expensive one would think given how it's 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 but it doesn't seem to link up in the markets if you watch the different um metals um you know why is platinum cheaper than gold that's weird i mean I, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense right yeah. so, but um you gold's know. always an outlier right gold is always we always say it i i tell people you know the investors and in gold and the gold market is is such an emotional market in reality you know it's such a different space than than any other metal i guess it can also be like it, it can be flaked it can be like it can be um in any any size you want and then you yeah. can make it you know you can always just like boil it up again essentially like yeah. it, it, with <laughs> full technologies i mean yeah. um, but anyway um well, yeah. and speaking of things that maybe different than than people would expect. I know uh, there's an element in here that goes around recycling as well. Right? Yeah. I think you had mentioned that that was an important part of, of how this all comes to that. Yeah, I mean, I think another solution is, I bet you that there's lots of really useful, important things in the tailings of lots of different mining operations. Um, mm -hmm. And it would be great um, if, if, you know, we paid a little bit more attention to that um, and and thought about you know just recycling that also not just for the good that that is valuable but also to um, to make sure that the tailings are not uh, creating an environmental uh, problem as well um, mm -hmm. and it would be worth it I mean it would cost you less to take care of that problem if the process allowed you to find a material that's worth value right I mm -hmm. mean. If it's not just getting rid of of things that could be dangerous, it's actually being able to find you know gold in there, <laughs> then well, then it's going to be worth it. Um, and I think there is. So I, I think people are starting to look at tailings more, which I think is great. Um, the the recycling is still very difficult. I I know <laughs> a lot of people trying to get it start started in Europe and other places, and it's it just is so complicated and and it's very hard for people to make a business out of it and i think i would that would be great if we found a way to have more recycling i mean everybody yep. has a drawer at home with like 800 airpods in it and yeah. there's there's little pieces of metal and little pieces of of really important things that can be recycled it's just silly yeah. um you know and that's something i think people will do out of necessity which is good because that usually drives the best um ideas uh, yeah, right. It, it's it's harder, I think, than people think because of um, 
you know, I know there's some really cool research being done into how can you essentially melt everything down into one big metal pool, right? And then extract out what you want, right? It's ultimately what you want to be able to do with recycling. Yeah. It's actually so hard to do that. <laughs> around it and all these different materials. Yeah. The, the science becomes, you know, more challenging than folks would expect when you start melting different metals down together and then trying to pull them apart again. Um, but it, it, some of the science that's going into it is fascinating of how, yeah. how we'll potentially get there. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. Um, so, I mean, that would be great. And then, um, I mean, it would just be nice that, that you have in the oil and gas industry, some of the same problems in mining where, um, the big oil and gas players have basically sold off their most problem child uh arms like the most pollutive of the, the the entities that flare the most and then that small entity has no coverage because it's not listed and it's mm-hmm. not you know it's just not people aren't watching it the way that they watch a, a big oil and gas company so actually more pollution is happening because <laughs> they sold off the the bad pollutive entity right. And and I also I feel you in a little a bit of a way, in mining you've got the artisanal mining, um, mm-hmm. which doesn't get the coverage that the big miners get. So they they often have more pollution and more more issues. But it's also employing like forty million people, and it's it's really important. And I just you know if there's ways to um, if there's ways to make it valuable for them to um observe more of the ESG and to 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 think about the environment and and that might be something like tailings like if they you know there there can be a lot of things that they're doing that's bad for the environment that could be turned into something that's good for the environment or at least neutral and they actually make a profit from it as opposed to it being a cost for them and I feel like that would be um a very good um result uh, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, so that, that's definitely one area too, that I think mining in a way it's, it's, they're not learning, they can't learn from oil and gas, but they're kind of experiencing the same issue. Um, and it would be nice. I think mining has a better chance, I think of, of sort of, um, solving the problem. The, right. And do you see a connection there between like the renewable energy space and, and tackling some of those challenges, this making those electrons cleaner and cheaper, maybe a way to help move the needle on that. Absolutely. I mean, if you think of these entities, these mining operations are often in the middle of nowhere and mm-hmm. they rely on gen sets and diesel and diesel is very expensive. And not only is it very expensive, it's unreliable. You don't know how much it's going to cost. Um, it goes up and down quite a lot. Um, so by if they set up their own, you know, wind and solar, they can set up, they can even have hydrogen very easily and, you know, have a storage uh, bullet. They can actually be self-sufficient and not have to be bragging in diesel um, and not polluting. Um, and, and it could work out. I mean, the, the numbers can be better because the diesel is really expensive um, and natural gas in a lot of places in the world is really expensive. Um, and this doesn't require a huge amount of infrastructure, right? Because we're talking about just the the, the electrons 
And then, you know, to make the um, hydrogen is also this, you can make any scale you want. You, you can make a little bit or you can make a lot. You don't need to make um, huge amounts. You can make for enough that. for what you need. And then that's, that goes along with electrification of mines or using hydrogen um, for uh, using hydrogen for basically the same thing, but there's just different methodologies. Um, using hydrogen uh, fuel cells or using ammonia fuel cells um, for the like these those super heavy um, I don't know what they're called <laughs> super, super heavy like lifters or these these uh, cranes. It's not a crane. I, I can't remember what it's yeah. called, but they're super heavy. Um, yeah, and that's a good fit for hydrogen um, because hydrogen is a fuel. It's a molecule, not not an electron, and and it's it's you know easier for for that. Um, and it sounds like that's something that that the equipment manufacturers are really looking at. Right? Is is the potential for hydrogen? I mean, this this seems to be getting closer and closer to commercial adoption. Yeah. I mean, uh, Walmart. Yeah. Walmart is using it. Um, you know, lots lots of places are are using it. Um, I think Anglo American and in South Africa is is building, and they're definitely already using it. But they're building sort of a hydrogen valley around it. Hmm. Um, I mean, it could be. Uh, that's the thing that that the, the problem with mining typically is that you're just not there very long because once you take the the whatever it is you're looking for, then you just take off, right? Uh, so anything that can help build a more complex economy around the mining, um, right. using the mining as a springboard, right? Because the mining needs energy. And so if it makes sense for the mining entity to put wind and solar, and then they're leaving it because it's good for 25 years, but they might not be around for 25 years. And this is but all the basis for in infrastructure that can help form a you know, broader economy that can help local people much more. Sure. Um, and, and I, and it's, you know, it's invaluable to have a complex economy. Like nobody wants to be a banana Republic. You, you, you want to have as many different types of industry as you can, um, because that is, that is just much more resilient. Um, yep. and that's another thing I think we've learned in the last couple of years that resilience is, uh, something that we need to keep an eye on. Yeah. And I think it's something that especially when you look in extractive industry focused um, economies is so important. And, you know, having diversity within commodities, diversity of companies active in the sector and diversity, like you said, of, of businesses, you know, not just petroleum, not just mining, both, but also everything else that, that makes a healthy economy, like you said, that can be resilient and grow even after the extractives are, are past the life of the extraction. That's a lot of using extraction a million times. <laughs> I think that makes so much sense and it goes really back to your first point, uh, talking about diversity even of energy sources, right? Yeah. From Definitely. a large perspective. Very cool. Well, if you, yeah. if you were looking at one place where this is being done really well, where folks are really thinking about this in a forward-looking way, is there something that a place or a, a project that jumps out at you? Well, I think our first project in Australia, the Australian Renewable Energy Hub, the one that BP invested in, it's located in the Pilbara, which is where a lot of mining is. And I think that um, 
those those mining companies are looking to use um, hydrogen as well as green electrons um, to to basically reduce the the amount of pollution that they create, um, and that might be one of the 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 first areas to really take off um, because there'll be a source there, and there's lots of different miners and different mining going on. Um, but you know, I I think that Canada actually has a lot of different options um and they also have a lot of mining and uh, uh saudi is doing this saudi wants to be one of the biggest uh producers of green hydrogen in the world and they're immediately focusing on uh these these materials that are necessary for the supply chain and they're also starting straight up with esg like they just they're like it took us a while to go we, we they, they said they were going to announce the mining law like you know Ten years ago, and and we we got it like two years ago, um, but it is actually a, a great mining law, and, and it is uh, it does take ESG into account, and it does um, focus on the types of, of of things that make sense to mine. I mean, I I'm flabbergasted by like how much pollution is created by mining diamonds, like that you you could actually like it's for i think it's one kilogram of diamonds is eight hundred thousand kilograms of co2 and one kilogram of iron is only two kilograms of co2 mm-hmm. but they're shiny and they're pretty <laughs> and we can them with chemicals now yeah. i mean it, it's just like we can make perfect diamonds with chemicals now perfect better than the ones in the ground no they're not they're not like real diamonds I'm a geologist. You're killing me here. Yeah, I know. I, I know gemologists too who, who have like you know auction houses or whatever. But you know, look, I don't get your point. Yeah, absolutely. And we didn't even get into the blood diamond as part of it, right? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But but I think they are thinking that you know. So what are our choices? When would we have available? And and what are the things that um, we can do? Uh, that on the margins or 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 just it could be dramatically better um, for the environment if we focused on X, Y, or Z. So they're mm-hmm. they're keeping that in mind as well, which is I think great. Um, and I, I think that will continue throughout other parts of Africa as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so not just South Africa. Um, oh, Mor- Morocco is already doing this uh, with uh, with like phosphate. And um, so there's 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 a there's a number of entities that are working on this because um, it, it's better for them too, and 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 it's it's che- it ends up being cheaper really, but yeah. yeah. Well, I guess uh, we always end the episode by asking guests in along that vein if there was one <laughs> thing you could change about the mining industry by just waving a magic wand, um, you know, and overnight poof, it's done. What would you change? I don't know. I would, I would give the native title holders all their earned uh, income from the mining in Australia. Mm-hmm. I think everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, I. I mean, I think I would. Uh, mostly, it's it's it, most of the damage has has been social. Um, I mean, there is environmental. There are environmental issues. They can be tackled, um, and, and but so can the social. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, if, if we could 
if these things could could be addressed overnight, even we have solutions, we have ways to do this. Um, you know, obviously that would be fantastic. So if I could wave a wand, uh, we would all be ESG friendly and, you know, having thriving communities, um, that, that mining actually helps to start, mm-hmm. um, it becomes the seed of a, of a much more complex economy and, and society and which, which has just generally happier people. Cheers to that. Cheers to happier, more resilient communities. And uh, yeah, no, that sounds sounds like a great magic wand. Well, thank you <laughs> and so much for, for joining and uh, look forward to keeping an eye on everything you guys are doing. 